we looked at 1 Kings chapter 1, and uh, David is dying. And there was all this uh, maneuvering and posturing behind the scenes. Who's going to be king next? And Adonijah, David's oldest living son, set himself up as king. And he got some supporters to surround him and set him up as king uh, until Nathan and Bathsheba started talking to each other. And they went and talked to David and said, do you realize what's going on? And I mean, it's like a, a wild movie going on and all this scheming behind the scenes. And uh, long story short, uh, David proclaimed Solomon as king. And so Solomon becomes king, which puts Adonijah in a vulnerable position. And so he flees to the horns of the altar, uh, which was a place of sanctuary. And Solomon gives him sanctuary. He grants Adonijah his life. Uh, and so that's what we looked at last week. This week we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 2. David is on his deathbed. Uh, before we jump into that, we're going to be looking at the life of Solomon for the next several weeks. And then the Sunday after uh, Labor Day weekend, we're going to start a new series and I'm calling it Three Years with Jesus. And so from fall to spring, for three years, we're going to journey with Jesus. That doesn't mean we don't journey with Jesus in the summer. We're just going to do different series in the summer. Uh, but I'm really excited about what this could look like. Uh, Brian's going to do the same series with the students, and so we'll be... Uh, engaging the same text in this room as Brian is engaging with students uh, in the student center and first Sunday of the month of course is all in and so we'll continue in that series and uh, we're exploring what it might look like with the children and the transition happening there too so we'll see maybe our whole church will be journeying uh, through the same series together which would be really exciting. Um, so I'm gonna say a word of prayer and we'll jump into 1st Kings chapter 2. God thank you for another Sunday, thank you for the opportunity to get to gather together as your followers. God, I pray that you would continue to shape and form us more and more into the people you have created us to be. God, may our longing for you only increase. May our desire to be the people you call us to be only increase. May we live faithfully as you call us to live. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, if you want to follow along, you may. There's Bibles in the, under the seats in front of you. It's on page 265, 1 Kings 2. And so uh, David has named Solomon as king. And it says, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. So this was a, this was a typical thing in the ancient Near East, that uh, a dying king would give a charge to the living heir, the next king. And so Saul, uh, David is going to give these final words to Solomon. What will David's final words to his son and his heir be? This is what David says. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, 
you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So these, these first words David gives to his son Solomon are, are these rich, beautiful words. Walk the way of the Lord. May your heart and soul uh, walk the way of the Lord. Uh, follow the law of Moses. Now, the law of Moses, in all its grand scope, is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, where Moses uh, recorded the teachings of God that uh, most people think David is specifically referring to in this text is the book of Deuteronomy. And each morning, when the Hebrew people would get up, they would recite what's called the Shema, which is from Deuteronomy 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, not on, one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And so uh, this text, the Shema, is given in Deuteronomy 6 right after Moses records the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, uh, where God has said, uh, can you just not worship other gods? And so David is impressing on his son Solomon uh, Follow these commands, these teachings of God, the best way to live. Don't, don't worship other gods. Uh, we'll see if Solomon's able to keep that command. Don't make graven images. We'll see through this series if Solomon is able to keep that command. Uh, don't misuse the name of God. Now, this command is typically in our day... Uh, people interpret that mean don't, don't, uh, don't swear, don't use God's name as a swear word. And while it most certainly encompasses that, that, that's not the heart of the command. The heart of the command is don't use God's name to justify wrong acts. Don't misuse God's name in any way. Uh, when we sing these songs and we put God's name on our lips, mean it or don't sing it. Uh, when we sing these songs, let it be true worship in your heart and your soul, not meaningless words. Don't, don't use God's name in a meaningless way. Keep the Sabbath. Is there just one day uh, that looks different for you than every other day? Is there one day that work gets set aside? Is there one day that the phone gets set aside? Is there one day that the email get set aside? Is there one day that looks different for you to be recentered on God, to be refilled with God's presence, to go into the world and live as God created you to live? Honor your father and mother. Uh, speak well of them. Speak well of your parents. Uh, don't kill. Can, can you just not kill? Uh, we'll see if Solomon can keep this command. Uh, no adultery. No adultery. Can you just be faithful to the one person you've committed your life to? Uh, don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Uh, these are the Ten Commandments, and these are the things that the Shema says, write them on your hearts. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you walk along the road. Let these be impressed on you so deeply that they become a part of the way you live. And so this is 
how David chooses to give his last words to Solomon. Follow this way of living. Follow this law of Moses. Embody it. Impress it on you. And so it's as if uh, David knows within him, this is the best way. And I want to impress this on my son Solomon. Uh, But there's something tearing David apart. There's this way that is the best way to live, following the teachings of God. And then there's this other thing in Solomon that says there's some things that need to be done in order to secure the throne. And frankly, there's some things that need to be done that I'm still ticked about. And so Solomon, I didn't do it. So I want you to. There's this drastic shift all of a sudden from love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, follow this way of the law, and then verse 5, David shifts big time. Now, you yourself know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of Israel's army, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime, as if in battle, and with that blood he stained the belt around his waist and sandals on his feet. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. David's on his deathbed. And these are words he chooses to leave his son Solomon with. Uh, Joab was the commander of the army. He, He was faithful to David. He was David's hatchet man. David had Joab do things that David didn't want to do himself. But David is holding a grudge against Joab for killing a couple of other men. Uh, One, Abner, who had been with Saul, King Saul, and chose to defect, and David gave him safe passage. Uh, But Joab killed him. Uh, and, And so Joab has done things that David was not okay with. But he kept Joab by his side all through his life because he knew Joab was faithful to him and he knew Joab would do whatever he asked. But now he says to Solomon, eliminate him. Don't let him go to the grave in peace. Uh, David is holding a grudge against Joab. And then out of all the people who have shown kindness to David his entire life, he he chooses just one to talk to Solomon about. He says in verse 7, But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead, and let them be among those who will eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And so this is the only person David mentions to Solomon to show kindness to. And what's interesting is that the house of Barzillai They're very wealthy, and they're very good at working with iron. And and so there's there's an underpinning kind of sense of David is saying, here's here's one way to help you secure your throne. Make sure you're good friends with this family. Because they're wealthy, they'll be faithful to you, and they will forge your weapons for you to secure your throne. And then he shifts right back to someone else he holds a grudge against. He says, and remember, you have Shimei, son of Gura, the Benjamite from Biram, who called down bitter curses on me. 
the day I went to Manaim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now, do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Wow. And that's it. Then David rested in with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Those are his last words. Uh, David is known as Israel's greatest king. He was a great king. He, he, it, we're told he, had a man, uh, he was a man after God's own heart. There are many things David did that were honorable and just and beautiful, and there were many things David did that were deeply broken, like committing adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah killed and having other people killed. Uh, Here's the tension. When we're at our best, we're living into the beauty of who God created us to be. And there are beautiful scenes in David's life where he is at his best and he's living into the fullness of who God created him to be. And at our worst, we're living out of deep brokenness. And there are scenes where David is deeply broken and living out of that brokenness. and it seems that even on his deathbed, he is at his best and at his worst. At his death. At his best, he is telling Solomon, follow the ways of the Lord. Follow the Torah. Follow the commandments. Live the way God created us to live by following these commandments. And then, at his worst, he's saying, eliminate Joab. Eliminate Shimei. Don't let their heads go down to the grave in peace. Uh, so this is, this is what David does. He, he ent- back one slide. You go back one slide, please. David's reign ends with bequeathing violence and revenge to Solomon. His last words are words of violence and revenge. Uh, the rest of 1 Kings chapter 2, I'm not going to read. I'll just summarize for you, and I'll let you read it and enjoy the craziness that takes place in 1 Kings chapter 2. But uh, first, Solomon deals with Adonijah. Uh, So David didn't say anything about Adonijah to Solomon. And as uh, 1 Kings 2 unfolds, Adonijah comes to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, And he says to Bathsheba, "Uh, grant me a request. And she said, what is it? And he said, go to Solomon and ask him to allow me to marry Abishag. Now, if you were here last week, you remember that Abishag was the beautiful maiden that they found to uh, try to make David warm as he was dying in his bed. And Adonijah has taken notice of her, and he wants to marry her. And Bathsheba says, okay, I'll do that. And she goes to Solomon and says, "Uh, your brother Adonijah would like to marry Abishag. Will you grant him this? And after, first Bathsheba says, will will you grant a request? And he says, yes, anything. And then she tells him and he says, he's a goner. And he has Adonijah killed. Immediately has Adonijah killed for this request. Uh, He saw this as a threat. Uh, This was... 
one of the concubines of his father, and he saw Adonijah's request as saying, I, I still will vie for the throne. And so Solomon has Adonijah killed. Then there's Abiathar, who was the priest who sided with Adonijah. Now, Solomon's wise enough to not have a priest of the Lord struck down. And so what he does with Abiathar is he exiles him. He says, you're no longer welcome in Jerusalem. Abiathar is exiled for the rest of his days. Uh, then there's Joab, who had sided with uh, Adonijah and who David had told Solomon to strike down. And when Joab learns that Abiathar has been exiled, where does Joab go? To the horns of the altar to plead for sanctuary. And this time Solomon does not honor sanctuary. He has Joab struck down at the horns of the altar and killed. And then there's Shimei, who David said, don't let his head go down to the grave in peace. Now, Solomon handles Shimei a bit differently. He says to Shimei, hey, listen, you may live here in Jerusalem, but don't ever leave. I'm keeping my eye on you. The day you leave is the day you get struck down. Well, about a few years later, uh, Shimei does leave because he had some servants that took off, and he went to go get them and bring them back. And when Solomon learned of it, Shimei, dead. Head Shimei, struck down. And so this is 1 Kings chapter 2. What a wonderful story, right? <clears throat> uh, what can we learn from this? How to take care of our enemies. Uh, there, there's a few things for me as I was studying this um, <clears throat> that I wanted to share today. I, when I think of David on his deathbed, conveying to Solomon, live this way, follow the ways of the Lord, uh, but before you get to that, eliminate these people. Uh, David on his deathbed, seeking revenge and asking Solomon to take care of it for him. Uh, I wonder for us today, as we think about our future, no, none of us know the number of our days. Uh, none of us know if we'll be aware of when we die, if we'll even be on a deathbed. Our lives could be snuffed out like that, or we could live a long life and die knowing it's coming. Uh, I wonder for us today, what, what would you like your last moments to be like? Uh, where would you like your heart to be? H how would you like to be in your inner person as you grow older? Is it the first half of David's advice to Solomon, walking the ways of the Lord? Or is there some of the second half in you where there's resentment and bitterness and anger towards others? Uh, I read a series of articles called Anger in the Age of Entitlement. Uh, if I can have the next slide, a guy named Stephen Stonesnay. Uh, Stonesney wrote these. And he said, resentment is the feeling you're being treated unfairly, not getting due respect, appreciation, affection, help, apology, consideration, praise, or reward. You're not getting that to which you feel entitled. Uh, so, keep this slide up for a sec. 
uh, if we're all honest, we could feel this way every day, right? Every day we could feel we're being treated unfairly. Every day we could feel like we're not getting our due respect or appreciation or affection or help or an apology or consideration or praise or reward. We're not getting what we feel entitled to. That uh, every day resentment can take root in our lives. And Stephen Stozny says, uh, if we allow resentment to take root, it becomes what he calls a chain of resentment that will only build on itself if we don't take care of it. And he said, this is what he says the chain of resentment will do. The tremendous effort required to drag the chain of resentment through life makes us hypervigilant for possible ego offenses, lest they sneak up on us. In other words, the chain of resentment makes us look for things to resent. This creates frequent sour moods and an atmosphere wherein no offense is too trivial or too unrealistic to be added as yet another link on the chain. We'll find things to resent in the news, traffic patterns, a dearth of parking places, the temperature of drinking water, and in other people's tastes, thoughts, opinions, mannerisms, and feelings. Uh, and so, in other words, what he's saying is we'll, we'll find a reason to resent just about everything in life if we allow the chain of resentment to grab hold of us. If resentment takes root, it will only create more resentment in us. Uh, studies have been done on the effects of resentment. I just want to quickly go through these. Physical effects of resentment cause digestive issues. Lower immune system, lower energy and stamina, reduced ability to heal effectively. The emotional effects of resentment are less gratitude, less appreciation of things and people. It's more difficult to love others, less joy, less kindness, feelings of irritability and anger. Mental effects. Resentment causes the prefrontal cortex of the brain to shut down, meaning cognitive thinking is impaired, leaving one unable to think clearly. One wonders if David on his deathbed is not thinking clearly when he tells Solomon what to do with the people he still resents. Spiritual effects basically mean brokenness in our relationships with God, others, self, and creation. Uh, resentment will destroy us in every way. We're holistic beings. And so the feelings we feel will affect us emotionally, spiritually, physically, and mentally in every way. Uh, the, the same is true of other things we carry around. Anxiety will do the same things, right? So if we're living anxious lives, we're going to experience these effects as well. And they'll affect different people in different ways. We're all different people. But the reality is we're all holistic people. And so resentment affects us holistically. Uh, this morning, what resentment are you carrying around with you that's affecting you? 
and the way you relate to yourself, the way you relate to God, the way you relate to others. Uh, resentment takes root anywhere. It can be in communities, it can be in governments, it can be in nations, it can be in boardrooms, it can be in family rooms, it can be in bedrooms. Resentment is always looking for where it can take root. Where has it taken root? In you, maybe multiple places. Uh, so what's the answer? What's the answer to resentment? Uh, there's a big thing I, I, I want us all to get because we, we live in a fast food culture. We live in a quick fix culture. And so I, I want to be really clear about this next slide. There's not a pill for it. All the brokenness, all the rage, all the anger, all the resentment, you can't take a pill to fix it. Uh, whenever something's wrong, we just want to know what's the quick fix? What's the answer? There's no quick fix for resentment. The chain of resentment has taken a while to build. It's going to take a while to unravel. Uh, it, it's, it, it's not a quick fix. So what is the answer? I just want to offer um, some thoughts. First, you've got to acknowledge it's there, right? You have to acknowledge, I, I hold resentment towards this person or towards this group or towards fill in the blank. Uh, then I would suggest searching for the fear behind the resentment. I think this is a step that people often completely miss, that in our resentment, in our anger, there, there is something behind it that is holding us in that resentment, and it's some type of fear. Fear of a loss of freedom, fear of not being respected, fear of rejection, fear of not having the position you want in the relationship, fear of what? Uh, there's some type of fear usually behind the resentment that's driving the resentment. Third, a willingness to forgive. Uh, forgiveness is most often a process. It, it's not, okay, I forgive, boom, done. Uh, and the larger the offense, the, the possibly longer the process of forgiveness, right? And then bless those who hurt you. Bless those who hurt you. That's a difficult one, isn't it? Um, When we're able to forgive, I truly believe that it will free us more than it frees the person who offended you. There is something so freeing when you're able to forgive someone 
who offended you or who hurt you. Uh, when we don't forgive, when you resent someone, you give them power over you. When you forgive, they no longer hold that power over you. You're free. I think God wants us to forgive others, to, to free them from that offense. But I believe God wants us to forgive others, to free us from resentment and bitterness and allowing the chain of resentment to take root and take hold and destroy us physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. God wants us to live fully alive out of all he's created us for. And the only way we can do that is when we're living in tune with God's best for us. And that includes breaking free from resentment. Uh, I've found, and I believe that one way to go about this in a very helpful way is prayer, meditation, contemplative prayer. When we step away from everything, all the busyness in our world, and we rest in God's love, it begins to change us. But we, we have to be intentional. Because we live in a world that's vying for our attention. We live in a world that is vying to distract us. Our phones are always wanting to distract us. The screen is always wanting to distract us. The busyness, the list of things we have to accomplish, always wanting to distract us. So we have to be intentional and say, I am taking space in my day. Sometimes twice a day, sometimes three times a day. Schedule it. Put it in your calendar. Five minutes here, five minutes there. To just rest in God's love and contemplate his love for you. And then, when you're ready, because you can't always do this right away, especially if someone has so deeply hurt you. Uh, you may need counseling. Uh, you may need a support group. You may need a community around you. But when you're ready, I, I believe it's very difficult to hold someone in contempt when you are regu regularly holding them in prayer. This does not mean praying, God, please show them how wrong they are and change them. Rather, to truly pray their best and to bless them. This is a difficult step. I know. But it's necessary. It's a necessary step to hold them in prayer and to pray for their best, to pray that they would grow into and mature into God's best for them. It, uh, let's be clear. Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. If you have been sexually abused or physically abused or 
fused so deeply by someone in your life, it doesn't mean you have to reconcile your relationship with them and be close to them again. Forgiveness is different than reconciliation. But forgiveness will free you from their power over you. So don't read forgiveness as, I have to be back in relationship with them. They may be a very unsafe person, and you shouldn't be in relationship with them. And if that's the case, don't enter back into relationship. But to be able to forgive them and release them to God will free you from resentment and free you to continue to grow into God's best for you. Uh, Jesus once said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We live in a culture where uh, the idea of being persecuted uh, doesn't happen a whole lot. Uh, but I think one way of reading this for us could be, in other words, bless, bless those who hurt you. Bless those who hurt you. And then quickly, uh, studies have been done on meditation and contemplative prayer and the effects it has. And wonder of all wonders, it has the opposite effect of resentment. Uh, increased immunity, relieves irritable bowel syndrome, lowers blood pressure. It's an anti-inflammatory, believe it or not. Emotional effects, uh, creates emotional balance and centeredness, brings peace, more compassion, more joy, more kindness. Mental effects, it alters your gray matter for good, improves memory, improves sense of self and others. Spiritual effects, healing in your relationships with God, other self, and creation. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. There, there may be people in your life who you say they, they don't deserve forgiveness. Neither do we. And yet God in Christ forgave us. Uh, we are forgiven because of Christ and his work, the incarnation, the cross, his resurrection. Uh, I've said forgiveness is, is not necessarily reconciliation. There, there's some, another distinction I want to make as it relates to resentment, and that is resentment may be related to, but is distinct from emotional hurt and pain. You can break free from resentment and still be deeply hurt. And frankly, I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Uh, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He forgave them. He was free from resentment, but he was in great pain. He was in great pain. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, mental anguish on the cross, bearing our sins for us. Uh, and for those of us who, who just recognize a, a deep, pain, a deep wrong that's been done to you, I hope you can take comfort in the words of Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed.
in spirit. Uh, God is with you. God is for you. God is near to you. God is present to you in your pain and in your hardship. Um, This morning, as we come and take this bread and dip it in the cup, uh, we remember that God came in the flesh and he died a brutal death for us and he held no resentment. Instead, it was free-flowing forgiveness for all. As Jesus hung on the cross, the anger and resentment and bitterness of others that put him there resulted in his free gift of grace to everyone. It's available right now, this free gift of grace that Jesus came to offer us. And he invites us to extend it to others. As you've been shown grace, may you show it to others. As you've been given love, may you give it to others. As you come and take the bread and dip it in the cup, I invite you to ask this question. The last slide. Is that the last slide? There it is. Uh, Who do you resent? Will you hold them in prayer and entrust them to God? God desires us to live as he created us to live. And resentment is one of those things that will keep us from being able to live that way. Uh, Who who do you need to entrust to God? Doesn't mean you're buddy-buddy with them again. Doesn't mean you restore the relationship. Maybe it does. And that would be beautiful and amazing and a work of grace and a grace gift from God, but but who do you need to, with open hands, give to God and say, God, I entrust them to you. Please free me from this resentment. God, we need your help. This is not something there's a quick fix for. We recognize that. We need your spirit moving in us in power to unravel the chain of resentment, to free us from resentment. And God, give us the grace and the capacity to forgive and to bless and entrust to you. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, that you came among us in Jesus and on the cross You showed us the fullness of your love, the fullness of your grace, the fullness of your forgiveness. God, we seek and ask for your forgiveness this morning and the capacity 
to forgive others and show them your grace. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.